Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frontier. These days, it seems every company has a podcast and content production has never been higher. But when today's guest first started encouraging companies to leverage social media and storytelling, they looked at him like he had two heads. Today, Marvin Joles and Blacktop Banner sets the gold standard for how companies in the industry can share their stories in an authentic and powerful way. Marvin shares his journey into the world of asphalt, his start in digital media, and how companies can get started sharing their own stories. Marvin, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Roger That podcast. We'd love to kick things off with a intro into kind of who you are, what you're about, what you do in the industry. Yeah, man. Oh, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It was nice to uh, catch up with the Frenter crew recently in Houston right, at Dirt World. That was kind of yeah. nice. Um, yeah, so I'm in the southwest corner of Wisconsin. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's in the United States. Uh that is uh, the home of the Green Bay Packers. So pretty much that's that's our, our claim to fame besides meat and cheese, which is kind of fell by the wayside, or a little bit milk and cheese and whatnot in Dairy State. But Southwest Corner, Wisconsin, uh, I own an asphalt maintenance company there. I started the asphalt maintenance company right out of high school. Um, got into the industry and uh, kind of accomplished what I had set out to do, which was just like not have bills haunt over me in my mid twenties or so the town we live in is in, is the second largest population in our County, which is 700 people. So we're pretty rural and to build a business in that area that at least pays your bills and gives you somewhat of a, a sustainable lifestyle was my only goal. And I accomplished that in my mid twenties. Uh, I found the rest of everything very mundane after that. So, uh, wanted to grow and be challenged a little bit more. So I started, I actually, um, started looking into snow plowing and that led me down a rabbit hole in the green industry, uh, where snow plowing is more prevalent. A lot of lawn care guys and landscape guys do snow plowing in the winter. And I discovered the green industry community and went to a conference. It was my first conference I ever went to. It was for the green industry and fell in love with that community. The people accepted me and I started learning about social media and all these things and it diverted the direction of my life from there on out. That was uh, probably a good 10 years ago or better at this point. So um, did that and uh, started getting more successful in my business, mainly because I was in a mastermind of landscape contractors who were doing far better than I was and I wanna be able to talk about how well I'm doing. So it kind of forced me to do a little better. Um, I transitioned though, when I realized that I didn't have a great resources because I was in the asphalt industry in that mastermind. Um, so I started a community, I went on Facebook and started us seal coders group and that w quickly scaled to thousands of people, contractors in there and have since still part of that group, but have since let the control of that go, uh, to somebody else. And I started blacktop banter. And uh, started that uh, a few years ago, and we've had some great conversations. We have an amazing guest, and it's taken me places that I never thought conversations would take me. So, very excited for that. Yeah, definitely want to dive into like the early stages of, of Blacktop Bander because, like, you know, lots of people, us included, um, have adopted kind of you know podcast and for this sure. kind of medium of telling stories. But you, you've been doing it for. Uh, for a while, and I want to dive into the history of that in a little bit. But with, I guess, kind of your your start, and I don't think it's an uncommon one mm -hmm. um, in the trades of, like, I don't want a boss, and yeah. this is kind of a an area that I can 
kind of help in was that kind of largely the motivator of like you know find that financial freedom and like trying you know you cover you cover the bills but was that kind of the driver of like i don't want to go you know work Into for someone workforce. else i can figure yeah. it out <laughs> yeah so I, I i was kind of unique um i grew up uh i grew up poor um my mom and dad weren't around my grandmother raised me and when i was 12 years old um my my neighbor two doors down which uh was my cousin's father he owned a roofing company and one day i was we hung out all the time my cousin and i and uh we were like brothers and one day when all of a sudden we started to fill out a little bit becoming young men he was like do you guys want to go to work and i'm like what like what do we do he's like you just pick up shingles like off the ground and throw them in the dumpster so it was hot uh it was dirty and it was about eight hours straight of doing that and uh at the end of the day i got a 20 dollar bill i was 12 years old i got a 20 dollar bill and it was the most money i had ever seen in person in my entire life and i was like somewhat intelligent i knew what 20 dollars would buy a super nintendo game I was like, dang, if I, if I could do this every day, I might have all the video games I want. Right. So I asked, you know, can I come back the next day? And of course, and literally, uh, every roof that I could get at from there on out from then until at least 18, uh, I was there and that's where I firsthand started to see entrepreneurship. And, uh, I did when the season would end, I took a job one time at a gas station making pizzas and it was and I was young and it was money and I enjoyed making money, but I was miserable. I mean, miserable because I, I was an introvert. I liked being in comfortable situations and they made me work the cash register. And I was like dumb to technology, which you wouldn't ever think that now. Um, but I'm still kind of dumb to it. I got a lot of people that make me look and sound good regularly here at blacktop banner, but it made me extremely uncomfortable and I didn't get a choice whether or not I wanted to do it or not. I was told I had to do that. And that was like the catalyst of, okay, I'm going to start asking, um, who I call dad. Then at this point, Jack, I'm going to start asking him questions about how he runs his business and how it works. And that's kind of how I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. All I knew was roofing and asphalt maintenance. They did a little bit of asphalt maintenance there. It's kind of where I started to cut my teeth. Growing up, I had uncles and stuff that took me uh, that owned asphalt maintenance companies as well. And uh, I just figured if somebody could do high-quality work uh, honestly um, and made their their customers feel comfortable with this type of work because our industry kind of has a bad image when it comes to that, uh, that it could be extremely lucrative. And I'm a little more fit now than I was back then, even though I was young. And I knew that my body wasn't going to be able to be on roofs for my entire life. Um, Jack still roofs. He's going to be 70 and he still roofs. He's built for it. Right. And uh, I'm not. So I kept doing roofing with him while I built Wiscode out until I was probably 24 or so, I would say. Uh, 24, 25, and then Wiscoat was so was starting to get such a head of steam. Uh, Jack came to me one day and he's like, "You have to go do this. Like, go do this. And if it doesn't work, you can always come back." So he wanted to see me really make it too. So that's how I got into like the entrepreneurship side of it. And um, you know, my goal at one time, Jack shared his numbers with me and what he made a year doing roofs, 
And my goal was that someday I would hit those numbers, right? Three years later, I hit those numbers and I was in my mid twenties, right? So, um, he, he gave me a great foundation for me to be able to educate myself beyond where he was at. And, uh, then I had to figure out how to get beyond where I had made it. And that's where the community came into play. And you, I think this is, this is true for a lot of the kind of people that start like their own worker and in, in, in the trades that kind of like, um, on a much larger scale, but it kind of boils down to piecework in a sense. Like if you're like, Oh, if I do one project, I make this, it's the 20, the 20 bucks from your roof. You're like, Oh, if I do one roof, I make 20 bucks. If I can do five roofs in a week, I make a hundred bucks. My right. first job long before it was legal to be official. Like I, I collected garbage at the office my dad was in. It was $5. Once a week, okay. five bucks. I, th I think I was like 10 or 11, but I was like, if I can do it in 15 minutes, that's 20 bucks an hour. Yeah. I'm making, making a killing. Of course, oh, yeah. you know, you only collect the garbage um, once a week. But was that, I guess, a big motivator that you kind of found of like that if you went, you know, the trade or laborer route through someone else's business, like you're kind of, you can make great money. It's a great opportunity, but you're kind of restricted by the work that you give that are given versus if you start your own thing, you're a lot more in that control of like, I could take this and if we can do 25% more, this is what we can kind of drive. Was that yeah. a motivator in that path? Somewhat. Uh, I've always been a good observationist and was able to deduce a lot of things. Uh, and I have a quirk where if it doesn't make sense to me, I have a real hard time sticking with it because objectively I just, I can't, it feels like a waste of time and it feels like, uh, it's going against my God-given talents of being able to discern that it's a waste of time. So um, what I did was think about how much money I made doing roofing when I got paid by Jack and then what my percentage of that was, how much he had to make, what my percentage was of what he made, right? And then I was like, okay, if I can do five times less than what he does, I'll probably make the same amount, right? And when I looked at that on paper, I was like, that's pretty feasible because at, by this time I had started to quote some small commercial work and larger residential stuff. And I broke it down into how many, you know, $1,000 jobs I would need to do, right? How many $5,000 jobs I would need to do. And if I had good weather, I could probably do that in a month in the summertime. And then I had five months left to do whatever I wanted to do. Well, it ended up being that I wanted to grow my business. So, um, that's kind of how it went. So that was a, a big determining factor. And then I had uh, a mentor um, that was like, you can do this. And I had never really honestly like had somebody look at me and was like, you can do this. And it, it was like, just it just lit a spark. And I, I believed it and ran with it. I think that's a big thing in the the industry kind of across the board and kind of the old the old model was like oh you you join a kind of a, you join a job site you join a company there's someone that's been doing it for you know a couple decades take you under the wing you learn obviously with the kind of the labor issues the velocity of people coming in with people coming out it's not you know sustainable to do at scale and you know that's a conversation for <laughs> probably another another episode um but i do think like the industry has a lot to provide to that that next generation you obviously have to be willing and it, mm -hmm. from what you say like you know you kind of cut your teeth picking up 
shingles and then you work your way through it, it's kind of you're, you're worthy of that investment of time because you're going to do something with it. You're not going to waste your time telling you all these industry secrets and you go, okay, okay, cool. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. They, those guys have the know. same kind of quirk in my brain. They don't want to waste their time. Like I'm willing to give my time away, but it, it better be worth it. Like whoever I'm giving it to better use it well. Um, Definitely. Otherwise I'm cool with just sitting there and closing my mouth. Right. My, my knowledge essentially is a currency at this point. So I want to make sure that I'm spending it well. Um, and not wasteful. So yeah, for sure. I would have totally agree with that. And times have changed, right? Since I hate to think, I hate to think about it, but I'm going to be 40 in a couple of years. And, uh, technology has allowed younger generation to get educated really well. And that left a kind of, a, a discrepancy between the older generation and younger generation, because the non-adaptation of technology and how to use it well between the older generation left the younger generation looking at them like they don't know a whole lot and before um or they don't know as much as i know essentially and before like you were referring to there was somebody that was a top dog in the company that um seemed like he had all the knowledge and would share it with the younger person that he was putting under his wing i think a big and like in, in my journey through education and whatnot, I've kind of fell victim to this as well as like information so easy to come by that you can, in theory, you can learn anything. Correct. You have to go through the process of learning, but information is so readily available that like I could probably find, you know, resources and YouTube videos on how to do maintenance on a like, oh, Cat C11. I should not be, and I would do a miserable job of it, but I think it's that notion that, oh, information's available to everybody that low, oh, what's this person going to teach me that I with a much more sophisticated understanding of acquiring that information from other sources can't learn on my own. Whereas it's like that knowledge of, I think learning how to learn is a skill that a lot of people have lost mm -hmm. and like learning how to learn from different sources, um, especially people that have been doing it for 20 years. It's like, you know, their way of teaching you, it might be different, but I guarantee that they've done through trial and error, trial and error, and their way is far better than anything that you can learn because, you know, it's not in the vacuum of the internet or yourself. Correct. It's just like, cool, you know how to do this. Do you know how to do it when it's pouring rain, you have half the tools you need, and the and part... somebody walks off the job or, uh, yeah. you know, you encounter things. So the, the knowledge is there for sure, and you can get the knowledge from the internet and you can get knowledge from a mentor, but... One thing you can get from the internet is experience. And if you have a mentor that, um, or, or somebody in front of you that uh, can relay their experience into you and make you feel it, then that's where the treasure is because that's what keeps you from making big mistakes, right? You get a feel for it. Like, oh, I remember that. They were talking about this. A lot of it is the in-person interactions as well. Um, a lot of my mentors, like I said, I was an introvert. I'm sure some of my early meetings and, and you go back and look at some of the early Wiscoat videos, brutal, dude. It's they're cringeworthy, but getting experience from people that could express it to me really helped me adapt to being able to become who I am now and, and host Blacktop Banner somewhat well in that regard. So that's a big difference. I think that's a, a perfect segue to kind of what I want to want to dive into with with backdrop banner and your kind of experience is like around that 
storytelling in kind of construction in the industry is evolving. I think people are realizing that they need to share the story both to their, you know, from your executive team to the the team on on the the job site to employer branding, et cetera. People are realizing that there's there's a lot of value behind sharing their story. Um, would love to hear kind of some insights, you know, from those earlier days, like how you've seen that evolve in the industry, both for yourself as well as kind of like other companies starting to pick it up. Has it? It seems like it's been like the last six months where all of a sudden it's exploded. Obviously, there's probably some trickles in before that, but yeah. yeah. When did Blacktop Banter start? What's been the next last little bit since then? Sure. Yeah. So Blacktop Banter. So I I did a program for my. I I spoke at uh, a conference in 2018 in Cleveland. And I spoke about using social media and it seems like it was forever ago, but it wasn't all that long ago. Um, and it was about using social media and how we're all going to be doing it and needing to do it to keep up because all these companies are going to be doing it. And Sean literally like people looked at me like I had green skin, like I was an alien, right? They're like, this guy has no idea how to market like at all. But I had successfully been doing it in my asphalt business. I'd been making YouTube videos and Facebook videos showing what we did so that we could create trust between potential clients and get people to know us and hopefully get people to like us because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And excuse me, I had started a program called Wisco Wednesday where I interviewed somebody on camera with me from a local organization or a local person of interest or a local company. And then I would tag them in it and their audience would see me and I would see them for the first time and it exploded my business. That was one of the main driving factors for Wisco's growth. After a while, I ran out of willing people. As I said, I'm in a small population after about 30 episodes, it was over with. So I did it for about three quarters to a year, uh, and ran out of people. Um, go a year and I'm at a conference and I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool if we had a blacktop podcast. So I recorded one. Uh, it still exists. It's called the pavement podcast. And I only did one episode. It's still on. You can find it. If you go look, the audio is terrible. Uh, I'm very nervous. It's just me talking, which isn't my format. I'm better with communication with somebody. Uh, I did it. I shared it with one person and they were like, eh, audio kind of sucked, but I think it'd be, it would be cool. When, as soon as we both agreed that it wasn't caliber, I stopped. It took a whole nother year before I had the gall to try it again. And I played off the words of Wisco Wednesday to blacktop banter. And I was like, dude, I have to do this. We just left a conference and all these conversations were by these great people and people I look up to and we're going to lose this information if I don't do this. These people could die in the off season and no one would ever know these great stories or have this information and this knowledge um, and these entertaining stories. So that's kind of why I started uh, Blacktop Pander. So it started that way in my basement, just me. I had no idea how to do audio video stuff. I watched Gary V a lot back then, probably too much. And he was like, just download Anchor, record yourself, boom. And you have a, Anchor doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, download Anchor, uh, record, and... Um, you can post it and now your podcast is up. And that's literally how I started doing it. And then I kept refining and refining. The hardest part was getting guests because this was completely unorthodox from what not only we were doing in the asphalt industry, but like most industries weren't doing this. So that made it pretty interesting uh, starting out for sure. Yeah. And I think 
this day and age, like it's like if we ask people to be, you know, a guest on this this podcast, like it's it's not foreign. They have a pretty good understanding of nowadays yeah. what what's to be expected, what they're getting into. Whereas, like, I, I can only imagine, you know, um, early days, be like, hi, do you want to record an episode? And people being like, I need top to bottom agenda, everything you're going to ask me. I don't want to just hop on a call and it be recorded. What? And <laughs> it wasn't even that, dude. Yeah, they they like didn't want that. Was intimidating. I had to be like, dude, it was just like when we were at the conference a month ago and we sat down, and had a couple beers. That's all it is. I'm like, well, I want you to tell that story that you told me. And they'd be like, okay. So then yeah. I had to learn how to navigate these guys because it was very intimidating to begin with. So then if I was like, this is what we're going to do, whatever. Now uh, I get a mixed bag, right? I'll get guys to be like, hey, what's the, you know, what's the breakdown? What's going to be the uh, agenda for this thing? And I'll give them a breakdown. Otherwise, there's guys that I just hop on and have combos with i wish i had my papers in front of me you could see like some of them there's like 20 bullet points and then some of them it says intro commercial break sign off right because i know the conversation i'm going to have with those guys so uh you had a second part to that first question though um what was that was more so i guess what so you you've been you know in the weeds of oh okay i got this you for yeah. kind of you know longer than most so i think you kind of have a, a good lens of like you see other people and you know some of that is probably seeing the success that you're having with it and going hey that's something that we could do as well frankly that's that's why yeah. i reached out to you initially was we we're like hey we we want to do this we think it would be a good fit it helped help the business did some research you kind of came up and it's like okay you've been i think what it, i wrote it down 136 episodes it's not yep. i think the stat is like if you record two episodes you're in the top like 20 percent of <laughs> right. podcasts ever if you get to 20 you're in like the top like yeah. 0, 0.0 because the longevity factor is just not there. Um, dude, we get such a mixed bag, dude. We get such a mixed bag, right? You have these guys are saying 10x everything. Do, you know, do 5,000 episodes. Just flood it. And then you got guys that are like, no, be precise. Make sure the quality of your content is king and make sure that it's really good. Uh, so we've seen a mixed bag. Uh it's similar, right, to when I first started talking about social media and nobody was using it. Um, it made your business stand out. It made whatever you did, your organization, really stand out. And then everybody started to do it. So it got muffled. Like marketing will kill every avenue stream, no matter what. Like look at commercial rates on TV now versus when they started in the 60s, right, or 70s or whatever. And look at radio, right? It just gets, I, don't, I can't even stand listening to the radio because there's, even just one commercial is too much. I listen to iTunes because, and I subscribe, so I don't have to listen to commercials. So we're starting to see that, and I get a feel for that now. I I was, uh, I wasn't the earliest adapter, but I was one of the early adapters uh, adopters of using podcast within an interest an industry. And yeah, you're completely correct. There's everybody has a podcast now. Like you're almost late at this point, right? Um, and it's tough. That's why no one ever topples Rogan because he was early, did it, did it really well with great quality, entertaining information, and, and no one can catch him because it's similar to like anything: Apple, uh, Nike, Coke. When you're tip of spear, you have such a huge advantage. And for us, we were tip of the spear in the asphalt industry, which has helped us. But like you said, it's getting flooded. So. Yes, almost every business is doing it. Almost every entity has a podcast. It was really great to begin with. You almost cannot do it now. You almost have to um, because you you have to be everywhere, right? If somebody wants to listen to your podcast, 
um, and they don't know that you have a podcast or whatever, um, it's, it's a, a good way to get more information to them uh, if they're curious about your business. But it used to be that people would just find you by osmosis, right? We would put in our title, you know, most interesting guy in NASCAR racing or whatever it would be, right, and have a guest. Um, and that doesn't happen anymore. Like they literally have to be following you or you have to have a presence and have stuff there. So it's changing. Um, I'm almost honestly looking for the next thing at this point because it's going to get so flooded. What happens is somebody thinks of a way to stand out again and then people will jump onto that. So I'm not sure what it is. At first for me, it was social media posting and then it was like you see it on these apps too. Like if somebody will, if an app, it happened with stories, right? Now every app has a story part at the top of their app and it didn't happen at first. It's almost once somebody does it and it has some type of success, everybody does it. And then you have pressure to develop something new. And I feel like we're in that bubble right now of we need to find something new in order to stand out from your competitors or everybody else because there's so much information and so many options to listen to different podcasts within the construction space, but the world as well. We only have so many hours in a day and everybody's got the same hours. How are they going to spend that? Um, I doubt it, at least in my mind, if you're in my industry, you probably listen to me, but I doubt it. If you're a dentist, you're going to be listening to blacktop banter, right? So it, it's tough and it's getting tougher, I think. I think like what what you said just there, kind of like specifically kind of your audience and, you know, you brought up Gary, Gary Vee and I think um, in one of his older books, it's kind of like, yeah, content's king, but context is God. It's like, yeah, you can yeah. develop a whole lot of content and that's fantastic. But like, yep. what is the context of what you're you're doing? And like our our focus was with this was to kind of get immersed and be seen as immersed in the the industry so that like hey we're having valuable conversations we're sharing unique stories from unique inputs of you know things that are important to the industry um when there's an opportunity to talk about ourselves organically awesome but that's never been the goal of the podcast yeah. um i think with yourself like the context is in the you know the world of asphalt yeah. other people like i think narrowing in on the context of what you're doing is so important because then uh, if not you're if you're everything to everyone, you're you're nothing to bingo anyone. Um, right? Is that something I guess you're seeing with companies that either are like are as a rule are they doing it well, or are you kind of seeing like oh if we broaden ourselves a little bit we can reach more audiences, and then all of a sudden it's like what are you anymore? Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough, man, because uh, you're doing it. Most of the time, people when they're doing it, they're doing it to. I don't want to say promote something, but bring awareness to something, right? And most of the time it's a mm -hmm. business or their organization. So already when you do that, um, it, 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 to me, it, it, it has you down a peg because if you have something to sell, it's similar to like why it's why influencer marketing, we're an influencer, right? Influence marketing, it gets used for us in asphalt space because I'm a contractor, because I'm, I have no product to sell people. It gives me validity to the audience. Um, it's tough. I know it's tough because we work with some of these companies to get that on their own, right? Like if, if one of our sponsors starts a podcast up, it's going to be interesting to some, but they always know, the listener always knows that that company wants to sell product, right? So yep. it makes it tough to have, a, to keep people there and to keep it genuine. 
But there are anomalies, like Rogan is an anomaly, of course. Hormozy, I would say, is an anomaly. A lot of these guys who you really have to kill it. Like you really have to kill it. And and you could try as hard as you want to and it not resonate well. Sometimes just your personality doesn't resonate well, right, to, to uh, the masses. So mm-hmm. you've got to kind of have a secret sauce. And it, it's not that it can't be done. Think about the music industry. How many artists are trying to get on the radio and, and make a hit, right? Now, people still make hits, but most of the time it's because they're unique or they're really, really, really good at what they do. So I, I have that balance. Like You have to kind of set a goal. What do you want to do with it? If you're trying to be Rogan, you're going to have a tough sled. If you're trying to be, um, if you're trying to do it to add to awareness for your brand or your industry, you can do it. And you don't have to be absolutely amazing at it, right? You're putting something out and there's something there. Eventually that starts to creep in and you have that within your industry where you get awareness made. So I think it's, I think it's important yet with, in a world of SEO and AI starting to take over where they can scan the internet for whatever they want, AI can. Um, it's important to have podcasts and content out there that it can pick up on because if you don't do it, you're almost already down a peg, right? Like you, that's, it's, it'd be like, I think I always go back to contract contractor mindset, Sean. So, um, it'd be like if I had to, if I had an asphalt maintenance company in the city and somebody else did, and I only did yard signs, but yet my, my, uh, competitor did yard signs and they did a billboard and they did the phone book, and they did the newspaper, and they did social media ads. Then I'm like, dang. So I up, I up all the way to everything but social media ads. But then I know that I'm looking at my phone, and I see them on there, and I'm like, shoot, I have to do social media ads too. So I think that's where we're at. It's just one of the ways to market. Um, I'm, I essentially think that... Uh, we haven't thought of the next best way to market and it will come out whether that's uh, AI or augmented reality or, or something. Uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be Alexa or whatever. Right. But um, it didn't happen. Um, essentially that thing is like the airplane banner flying over the city, right. With Wisco asphalt maintenance on it. That's what we're looking for. We'll, we will find it. Don't get me wrong. We're going to find it. It's going to happen. And then give us a good 10 years and we will ruin it as marketers <laughs> once again. Uh, yeah, someone that um, worked in and lived through the kind of the glory days of the, the D2C space where basically, you know, you put a dollar into the, the Facebook engine and it spits out five. Yeah. Um, and then seeing that kind of transition with a variety of changes. But like you said, you know, as an industry, you kind of you get greedy, you ruin it. Meta gets greedy, it gets more expensive, and then you you put in a dollar and you get back seventy five cents, and you're like, yeah. oh, okay, this isn't sustainable. Um, I, I think the big thing is, you know, and, and like as you mentioned, you know, as a as a brand that kind of underlying, it's like, okay, I like your content, but what's what's the catch? Right. Um, and I think like Hormazi talks about this quite a bit. Is like just just give away stuff for free, give away so much stuff for free, drive so much value that people forget, and then when they're in that moment that they say, I need this service and I don't know where to look. Yeah. You're top of mind. You're like, I've seen their content. And then you avoid that, you know, paving company near me. And then it's just, you're fighting in Google search rankings Correct. Um, to get that. If you've provided enough value and asked nothing in return, when it comes time that someone, and I think dirt world, they, they brought this up. It's like 80% of the buying journey 
is done before anyone ever reaches out. For so sure. On the marketing side, it's like, and, and we had people at Dirt where they're like, oh, I've seen your ads. I'm like, could you click on them so that <laughs> just click? You don't need to buy. Just yes. click, engage in the website so I could be like, oh, okay, people you saw see it, that, resonated dude. that that ad. And I, I think B2B, B2B in like the construction space as well, um, they're not, it's not a digitally native industry. It's not people that are in front of their computers day in and day out. Yeah. Like if you're selling tech to tech, you can be pretty confident that, you know, running digital ads, you'll get in front of your your audience some of our customers are like i haven't been in front of a computer all week yeah. so if you call me awesome i'll chat but no i haven't seen any ads yeah. that you've been running so we can be on their again, phone right like it's on their to, phone yeah and we, we live in a world of instant gratification TikTok, instagram they've all made it so that if you're not interested within the first two seconds you swipe so yep. it's very hard to get people to click on ads at this point right like one of the companies that did it really well within the last few years is uh dr squatch the soap like dude every time i would stop and watch that commercial right so there's an example of you can't just put something there you have to do it really really well um and it's tough dude like you literally you have to be an entertainment company if you're gonna really stand out now like you there has to be a lot of strategy that goes into it and I'll be honest with you. I don't want to put that much effort in anymore. I don't think I ever did. I enjoyed it when I put a dollar in and got five out, like you said. Um, putting a dollar in and getting 75 cents out and then Facebook saying, hey, it's not our fault you're getting 75 cents. Be better. Do better. Yeah. And before it was just like, do something. And I was like, okay, cool. Because at heart, I'm lazy still. I work my ass off, it feels like. But um, at heart, I don't want to. I want to chill for a little bit and it's tough and it's getting tougher. Um, eventually we'll burst into something yeah. else. And on the flip side, this industry, the nice thing about it is like, you know, in tech, like you're, you're not necessarily going to be able to like directly reach your, your buyer through traditional methods. But like, um, we had a pretty, um, like quality lead come through a direct mail campaign, which like Dang. I, Dang. Built, building it out, I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but you know what? We got the addresses. We'll kind of give something. And Let's then see what happens. It was like three months later, too. So I know it sat on a lunchroom table for forever. And then the person was like, same thing. What comes to mind? And like, I'm pretty sure there's something like in the stack of magazines or mailers or this or that. They came to the QR code. And I was like, was this a mistake? I'm glad I kept the landing page live. Um, but in an oh, industry shoot. where traditional marketing you know, can work and also face to face like when we were in houston we we visited a number of job sites and the fact that we showed up versus mm-hmm. calling the quality of conversations were 100x they're like yeah. listen i get calls and emails all throughout the day you took the time to walk in the front door i'll give you 10 minutes yeah and if you do a good job that 10 minutes turns into like actually in the sales process versus like straight to trash for this email yeah well that's because you're you're doing exceptional remember like i said we have to create an exceptional content or exceptional experience and that's what that is now is like we can't just expect that we spit out information into a microphone and it's going to do the trick um we're going to have to do more same way with retaining employees they talked about that a lot at dirt world you can't just do what you use you can't just pay them anymore it's not gonna work people Mm -hmm. want more than that and that's what we try to do that's why a lot of our conversations on blacktop banner are about serious topics intimate topics and whatnot Um, we do talk about 
cool stuff. Like we just had a piece of equipment come on that I was like, dude, I have to know about this. This is super interesting to me. But most of the time it's a conversation of getting to know people and getting to know them really well because that's it's relationship development. And that's who I want to work with because I have tons of choices, Sean. No matter what I want to purchase, I have tons of choices. Nobody is coming out. Look at Tesla. There's many EV vehicle options now, right? So I have tons of choices. It has to mean something to me if I'm going to buy from somebody, someone personally at this point um, because I want that connection. I trust that connection. Um, that's what I want. And that's what we try to create when we develop new relationships nowadays, whether it's through the asphalt business um, and commercial clients that we're hoping to land or whether it's our guests or our uh, even the companies that sponsor and advertise the Blacktop Banner, we spend time with them in person multiple times a year, right? And get to know their teams and get to know them personally. They want our success and we want to be successful for them. You get emotionally invested in their brand and your brand, them people, those people in, in yourself back reciprocation. So um, it's unique, man. And I get curious of like, what does the future look like? Like, what are we going to have to do in order to really land clients um, who who are already our friends? Like, we have to make them friends before they're clients almost now. What are we going to have to do in the future to stand out? It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, and uh, the obviously the last couple of years has been kind of wild ups and downs. You know, some things have been trended crazy up things have traded into trade crazy down i think at the end of the day that like going back to your roots building relationships is always gonna you know stand out yeah it's almost better for the industry not great for some companies obviously but better for the industry if the easy ways start to kind of wash out because you know you sort of you, you trim the fat and then you're stuck left with companies that are kind of doing it the right way, building the relationships. Correct. And if you can't survive kind of that gauntlet of things getting harder, then yeah, you probably shouldn't be in the industry. And then it's better mm-hmm. for people that are looking for customers. They're like, all right, if they're still around, they must be doing something right versus they spun up last week, dump 10K into ads. I clicked on, that's not how this industry works, but yeah. Do you want to wrap things up on kind of, I guess, you mentioned looking at that very first episode. I'm imagining, you know, the first couple episodes if you went back i think it's okay to be like embarrassed by them that means you've improved like if you look back and you're like we're still doing it the exact same either you're really good from the very beginning or you you haven't iterated is there advice that you'd give to companies that are just starting out or they're trying to get out there whether it's podcasts or other mediums like how best to go about it yeah i think the first thing you should do is set your goal like what what do you want to accomplish with this Right. If it's to create content and to have it out there, cool. I'm sure there's guys that do one podcast a month and they send those links to their clients like, hey, yeah, we did talk about this. Right. Uh, here, here, take a listen. So it's similar to sending somebody a, a pamphlet or an information sheet or a stat sheet or a data sheet. So that's one way. Another way, if you're going to try to create brand, um, then you have to be consistent right? And your content has to be on brand. Um, I, I wonder sometimes, right? Because I see people that create excellent content, like very entertaining, but I don't really know what it's for, right? Um, 
If it's just to entertain me, that's cool. But most of the time it's put out by companies and I still don't quite get what it's for. So for me, um, I really try to make sure that it's on point if, with what we're going to do. So that's another piece of advice. Like, you know, make sure that it's on brand for what you want to do and, and your goals in that regard. So um, when I first started, I had a, I have a mentor, um, short story. Uh, I went to that green industry conference to meet a couple people who I knew really were doing really well with social media. And I asked him how I start doing it. And he's like, just put it out. Right. And I'm like, like put what out? He's like, record yourself and put it out. And I was like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. He's like, then how are you ever going to do this? He's like, you're never going to be comfortable. It's never going to be good enough. Start putting it out. Start looking at yourself on camera and listen to yourself and figure out how to get better at it because you suck. Right now, I can tell you you suck because you've never done it before. So uh, that would be my other piece of advice. Just start doing it. I, I recorded at least 100 videos that never seen the light of day as I was trying to record myself and get used to myself or whatever. I released some. Then I had crazy anxiety because I did it so early on that people were going to think I was crazy. Like I trusted Gary Vee. But I didn't completely trust that he knew what he was talking about, right? Um, so I put it out and I was like, this ain't going anywhere. Delete, 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 delete. And I deleted probably my first 20 videos. I really wish I wouldn't have done that. Um, when you go back and look at my early ones now, you're like, dang, this is not polished at all. And like I said earlier, it's cringeworthy. You should have seen the first ones, right? Like they were way worse. But I wish I had those because I'm proud of where I started to where I got to. And it'd be nice to see it from the very beginning. But um, yeah, so I think those would be the main three key takeaways. Set your goals, figure out what you want to do with the podcast or content creation, whatever you're doing. Make sure it's on brand really well. Um, you can do that by planning out your pieces of content. And then um, just start doing it and you'll improve over time. You'll get better at it. If it makes you uncomfortable, if it's cringeworthy when you look at it, chances are it's cringeworthy for everybody. So um, go ahead and adjust. And you can adjust. It's not like you can't change your mannerisms or whatever. I used to say um a lot. In my early podcast episodes, if you listen, um, you'll talk about me having a piece of paper on my screen that says don't say um. And I will literally get the parts in the conversation. I'll be like, well, it's interesting. You need to do, right? And I w normally I would have said, um, but I stopped doing it, um, because I had people listen and give me feedback. So be open to criticism as well. I would be by people you trust for sure. I will say on that note, our produ producer Ben will be overjoyed with your lack of ums. Cause and it's a natural thing that people do, but we've had guests that every couple words and he's just like editing this is a disaster because if i take them out it sounds insane this yeah. doesn't sound like how a human talks but if i leave them in as soon as you pick up on the first couple it's the only thing you hear but it's it's a natural thing it's how people talk totally. and if you don't record yourself you never hear that and our goal and what i kind of said is like i would like to be embarrassed by our first couple episodes when we look back and i'd like to reach out to those guests and be like we can do this better i would love to have you back on it was a bit of a train wreck. I appreciate you testing the waters with us, but come you know back what on it reminds me of bigger details. Dude, Sean, what that reminds me of is like when you start dating and you're like, dude, I wish I could go back and do those first couple dates over because I've got really good right at it. Uh, it reminds me of that same thing, right? Like that's what I wish I could do. But yeah, yeah. It Here's, the, here's another, like I'm still not perfect. Uh, I have my producer, Chris, uh, who is 
like I said, makes me look fantastic and great here at this. But um, I say two as well. And he's like, that's the same thing, you know. When you say two and as well, it's the same thing. And I'm like, I didn't even know I said that. He's like, you say it all the time. So even now, uh, 38, we're going to be 40, like I said, in a couple of years, I'm still trying to refine that process. And I'm catching myself saying, yeah, we do that too as well. But now I'll catch myself like, we do that also, right? So it's a constant thing, man. Self-improvement, yeah. I think, happens until you take your last breath. We we used to have a running list of we'd finish an episode and Ben would be like, this was better. You stopped doing that, but now you're doing this? And I'm like, shit, all right. On yeah. the next list, and I'm sure there's, there's stuff that comes up um, over time. Yeah. But Marvin, greatly appreciate you taking the time. I think as someone that's been doing it for a while and doing it doing it well um thank you it's and there's um there but uh you're <laughs> it's it's something good to emulate for um other companies and i think just that getting started is the the biggest thing for a lot of mm-hmm. people there's a lot of great stories to be told in the industry but if you don't ever pick up the camera or start it's just there yeah. and it'll never kind of get other people excited and attracted to the industry, whether that's clients, new employees, or who have you. So yeah. greatly appreciate it. It was wonderful having you on today. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's it, one byproduct of doing this, right, is you create great friendships, right? And uh, to me, if that's all that's left after I get done with this, that's a pretty good outcome. So I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frenter. Frenter is a all-in-one asset management solution for heavy equipment. Frenter helps you secure and optimize your fleet without robbing you of your precious time. For more information, visit us at frenter.com. That's F-R-E-N-T-E-R.com. Thank you.